Welcome to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast, located inside the School of Health and Human Sciences at IUPUI in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Travis Smith, a proud sport management alum, adjunct faculty member, and associate editor of the Sports Innovation Journal here at IUPUI. On this podcast, we look to highlight the innovative practitioners and scholars in sports to learn and design Think the Future of the Industry together. Thanks for listening to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Welcome to IEPUI Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Today, I'm joined by SII Director Dr. David Pierce and Kyle Armstrong, the founder of RefReps, to talk about sports officiating shortages and how innovations can help. So, Kyle, Dr. Pierce, thanks for being on the podcast with me. Thanks for having us. Well, let's just jump into it. Let's start with explaining why there is a shortage of referees in youth sports. Is it one thing or really a combination of things that are just now compounding at the same time? Dr. Pierce? It's definitely a a compounding of things. and It's really an area of the industry that has received very little uh, attention from uh, innovators or any other stakeholder group. Um, I think people are uh, just kind of complacent and assume that when they show up at a game, there's going to be somebody in a striped shirt there to officiate it. And maybe with the exception of, of a few administrators here and there that maybe noticed it was a little bit harder to find officials to do the games, it's it just people just assume um, that, that this person is going to be there to officiate their um, child's uh, game or their team's game. Uh, and so we'll talk about some of the problem spaces today, but, but it's, it's across the board. I mean, it's structural in terms of how referees um, are selected and assigned to their games. There's, there's a severe lack of education uh, and training. Uh, we know, you know, from, you know, just media reports and being on social media around sport, there's all kinds of, you know, negative fan behavior and, and poor sportsmanship and, you know, officials you know, feel threatened in some cases, but, but all of these things are, are related. We'll unpack that over the course of today's episode. Yeah. And Kyle, we'll, we'll get to ref reps um, a little bit later, but it, is that kind of uh, what, how did you find out about this shortage of officiating? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my entrepreneurial journey really started in the officiating and technology spaces. And so one thing we found, and, and that's been nearly 10 years of my career now, and one thing we found very, very early on goes back to what Dr. Pierce mentioned. You know, in terms of innovation, there's nearly none in the officiating industry, but there's also never really been a focus on standardization. And I think that's led to major issues related to the shortage of referees. There's very unclear expectations. There's very unclear standards across the board, and it, that goes all the way from really youth sports up into the higher levels. Uh, there's a lot of questions on, you know, where is that bar set and, and where do we want these officials to be? And I think that just kind of trickles up and down the spectrum there that has led to a shortage in youth sports and at all levels. Well, I read through some of the numbers of decreased officials in different states and sports um, from a case study that you and your students have put together, Dr. Pierce, um, and it's staggering. What sports are you most concerned with, uh, and are the shortages really across the board, or is it more sports-specific that's having a problem? So one of the challenges, and this is pretty amazing, but but states don't, they don't all necessarily track any of this data, And, and there's certainly no national level database that, that tracks this. Um, 
but I, the way I describe it is it is a, it's a, it's across the board in terms of across the country and across uh, all sports. So, I mean, you know that it's a challenge when um, high school football in Texas can't always be Friday night lights because there are not enough officials to go around on Fridays and games have to be moved to other days of the week. Right. So, um, and that, I mean, that's the most popular sport, um, for a state, you know, across the country. So, um, it really has impacted, um, uh, sports across the board. And especially when you get down into some of the Olympic sports, um, you know, from, you know, track and field to, uh, you know, gymnastics. I mean, there, there are state associations that are, are they're literally relying on all people over 70 or 75 years old to get out there and continue to officiate. So it, it goes way beyond just, you know, the, the high profile sports that you might see with, you know, basketball or football. And it, it, it's, an, it's a problem across the board. Yeah. And I remember reading about the average age of officials um, is reaching a high. And then you would think that innovations in the sporting industry would actually attract younger people to want to be um, uh, referees or officials, but it seems to not have gone that direction um, at this point. No, in fact, yeah. So 50% of officials are at least 55 years old. And so there is a crop of them that are going to be rolling out. Uh, but the problem is only 12% of officials are under 34 years old. And the new officials that do come in, um, there was research uh, reported from the National Federation of High Schools a couple years ago um, that 80% of new officials quit within their first two years. So the real, the real challenge that um, we've been working on in the Sports Innovation Institute is like, how do we reimagine those first two years and create a much better um, experience for sports officials so that they will get over that hump there of two years? Because it does seem like if people can get past that first couple of years, then, you know, you're kind of in the system and, and you've got some confidence. We've got to get people uh, past those first two years. And, and I, I agree with that completely. I mean, the major issue that we've seen for a long time is, like Dr. Pierce mentioned, there's no backfill. You know, officials are aging out and there's no one coming in behind them. And you look across the board from state to state and there's no clear plan on how to attract new officials through innovation. I mean, the answer traditionally has been, you know, let's, these, these older officials that are starting to age out, they can give back, they can mentor, they can reach down and try to pull people up. And it's just not a sustainable model. I mean, there has to be someone that looks outside that box and says, okay, here are ways we can attract them more organically through innovation and through technology and through different ways, rather than just relying on the crop of people you have to just reach down and pull people up. And that's one thing that we take very seriously at RefReps. If we can target that, you know, the 12%, I think you said, Dr. Pierce, that are under the age of 30, 34 years old, if we can attract them just through a new innovative approach, I mean, the, the return on that investment is going to be, it's going to flip the script on that staggering decrease i think we can pull people up naturally with that well so you, you mentioned that it's not sustainable and that we clearly know innovation hasn't been a part of, the, of any plan but what have organi organizations done to actually deal with the shortages dr pierce kind of spoke about how football in texas couldn't all play on fridays but thinking about other sports too i mean is that really what's had to happen or what are they do doing 
um, maybe more double headers, things like that to where you already have official officials there, smaller crews. I mean, what is, what have really organizations had to do? I'll break that down into a couple of different buckets. So one I would call administrative or operational short-term fixes, right? So we're, you know, maybe rescheduling sports on different days of the week. Um, you know, we're maybe reducing the number of officials on the crew. So instead of a three-man crew, it's a two-man crew. Instead of six, it's five. Uh, maybe you ask referees to stay and officiate multiple games on the same night, right? So you're doing the JV game and the varsity game, the A game and the B game. Um, some sports are even looking at how do we change the rules of the game so that you can have fewer players on the field or court, right? So is it, you know, three on three basketball? Is it seven on seven football? Just as a few examples. Unfortunately, then other administrative fixes are you just cancel those lower levels of competition, right? We, the, the, you know, the freshman games, the B games, the seventh grade B games, right? If those opportunities disappear because there's no officials and that's, um, you know, depriving kids of those opportunities to play. And then, um, ultimately another short-term fix is just hiring inexperienced officials that really aren't prepared for the level that they're assigned to. So yes, I can find an official, um, you know, but, um, if I've got, you know, the number five team versus the number seven team of the state playing in, you know, basketball, I shouldn't have a guy there repping his first game. And we actually talked to someone as part of our interviews for this project that had that happen in Indiana. They're very wow. Was it was 4A, number five versus number seven. Now, fortunately, that person showed up with two other really good reps who got them through and became mentors, as Kyle mentioned. So maybe there was a small win, but that's not scalable and it's not sustainable. Uh, so that's that's one thing or kind of operational administrative fixes. Um, but another approach that I would bucket things into is kind of the, the blame the parents approach. Right. So there's been a lot of work and this is really good work by like the National Association of Officials. And this is very much needed. Right. Like like really raising awareness on the negative behavior that fans and parents bring to games and how they treat officials. And, and all of that stuff entirely needs to be fixed. There needs to be better sportsmanship. But what I fear sometimes is, you know, administrators then kind of kicking back in their chair, kind of condescendingly talking down to people and blaming parents rather than trying to own it and create a better experience for sports officials. So I think there's a little bit of where can we cast blame on others so that they don't look at us as being, um, you know, not trying to fix the problem. And then the third bucket would be what I would call like actual um, innovation um, where, you know, uh, tech companies and other, um, other new um Businesses like, take for example, a, um, a group up in Chicago called Officially Human um, that really is trying to roll out like a nationwide platform to get people to empathize um, with sports officials. Because if people would understand kind of, you know, where they come from, the sacrifices they're making to be there, and really look at the striped shirt differently as a person, you know, rather than an object or someone there that's, you know, there to make a bad call against their kid. Um, you know, that will change people's mindset so that, you know, they're, they're a, a new company that's going to be rolling out a product um, this year across youth sports um, that will hope to make a difference in that way. Obviously, um, you know, we've had some other uh, companies even on this podcast, you know, Kyle is working in this space. So those are the kind of the way I would uh, kind of describe the approaches that have been taken uh, to this point. Kyle, I don't know if you have anything else to add there. Yeah, I mean, going back to that first bucket you talked about, one of the major issues we've seen traditionally is oftentimes these states or organizations are so uh, 
I mean, frankly, desperate for officials that they are willing to bring in those unqualified individuals. I mean, that is a major, major problem because there are many states, what I talked about earlier, a lot of these organizations don't have any requirements to be able to officiate other than taking an open book test. A lot of people don't realize that. You take an open book test and you get your license and now you can go work these games, but you maybe played the sport in your youth and haven't haven't played it or been around it in 30 years oftentimes. And so you go out and you're on the completely different side of the coin here. And suddenly you're on the court, you're on the field and it's like, wow, you know, I, I didn't know how much went into this to be an official. So oftentimes they're rolling out all these unqualified officials like you talked about, Dr. Pierce, you know, sometimes into these major games and these officials are set up for failure from out of the gates. There's no training requirement. There's no uh, knowledge requirement. I mean, you, you open your rule book, you take a test, you get to pay your fee and you get your license and that's it. And so these officials are set up for failure out of the gates. And that's why we're seeing these individuals that don't make it past two years. They go out on the court, they get screamed at for an hour and a half, and they just think, you know, for 50, 60 bucks, it's not worth it. Why am I doing this? And so that is a major issue. And one of the things that we've really tried to address, because this is why these younger people, these this next generation of officials, either why they're getting started and leaving, or they just don't want to start in the first place. There's no clear direction on this is my path to success for officiating. And from the business side, one of the major uphill battles that we've had as an innovator in the officiating space is that you go to a lot of these national governing bodies or these state organizations. And frankly, from the business side, officiating is very much looked at as a sunk cost. There's not a return on investment. People aren't coming to watch a game because of the officials. They're not paying money for the officials. It's hard to innovate in this space because it is a sunk cost. And one thing we've always tried to be on the front edge of is educating those NGBs and those organizations. If you don't have quality officials, these sports that are providing you revenue aren't going to exist they're going to disappear. And so we've really been working for 10 years to change that mindset. There's a, this is an investment. It's the, an investment in the future of your sport because you have to have these people and we've got to have them succeed, period. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, one of the hesitations around innovation in officiating is everybody's kind of standing around looking at everybody else thinking it's their job to do it, right? So because of the sunk cost mindset, and just well these it's a necessary you know component uh to the game like like is it think about it like is it the high school athletic director's job to cultivate and help train officials is it the um state association and governing bodies is it like the local referee officials associations uh or are they all looking around saying well if you want to get better as a ref you need to you know take it on yourself uh to get better. Like they're, they're just, I think just, just a lot of just kind of looking around at all of the other stakeholders and making an assumption that someone else is going to be the one to make the move. And at the end of the day for, you know, 30 or 40 years, there, there's been not a lot going on. One motion. Yep. Yeah. And it just seems like a disorganization, but also just um, a lack of uh, um, really respect for the field. Uh, it sounds like that, that more people need to have and take ownership in the problem. Uh, you know, Dr. Pierce, we've talked about a lot of these, uh, 
problem areas um, uh, to explain the referee shortage. Now, your students participated in a capstone project for a class to determine the problem areas using design thinking methods. Is there any that we haven't touched on yet that maybe you can walk us through um, that your students and uh, you had found as problem areas? Yeah, so we've kind of talked about education and training a little bit. We'll come back to that later with ref reps. But um, the assignment of games and how games are assigned and the role of the assigner um, is a really, really big deal. It's one of those hidden people that nobody knows about. Um, I've been in sport management, been a professor for 15 years. I was never aware of the role of the assigner. It's like um, a broker. And uh, someone, what's that? Is it kind of like a logistics broker? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's the middleman, right? Taking a cut, um, and so uh, that creates a variety of of different problems. Anything from officials needing to kind of pay in to that assigner to be able to to get games, uh, to assigners not really caring about how that game fits into that person's life or schedule, right? A lot of favoritisms, and you know, in group phase favoritism. Kind of good old boys network can emerge a lot of research around that by Lynn Reidinger out of a, um, uh, Old Dominion uh, University. There's a great book by Brendan Zulick, who is one of the founders of Silbo, um, called Whistleblower. I, if, if you're really into this podcast, I would go get his book on Amazon. It's called Whistleblower, and it really, really takes an inside look at, at, at all of the downstream consequences of, of, the, of the role of the, of the assigner in sports officiating. One of the first podcasts on SII. Yeah, or go back and listen to the first uh, SII podcast. That's right. He expands um, the book a bit, but definitely buy the book. And you know, another big thing is just this idea of like, like perception and empathy. It's like, like how do we get people to view officials differently? Like in the observation phase of design thinking, one of the insights that students came up with is like, you know what? When people show up at a youth sporting event or a high school event, like they look at the official as the villain. But in the picture that we're painting, they're actually the hero because without them, your kid's not playing, right? So it's like, how do we change people's perception of the official from the villain to the hero, right? I mean, if we had people innovating around that, like I know we could come up with some really, really creative stuff. Um, we've talked a little bit about fan behavior and sportsmanship. That's the most like obvious problem that's like right up in everybody's face, but it's easy to not want to dig beneath the surface of that. And I think the design thinking methods that we use in class help students dig beneath just kind of the media narrative around that. Um, um, and then we also looked at uh, like the notion of like community and mentorship, right? So yes, there are you know, officials that um, do go out of their way to mentor and bring people up, as Kyle said, but, but, it, but it's random and it's not scalable, right? But there are ways to do community and mentorship in scalable ways using um, technology, right? So um, how, how might we create a, a supportive community for sports officials? I was struck by one of the questions that we asked referees um, was, when you're done with the game, and you jump in the car, you know, what's the first thing you think about when you get in the car? And the answers that they gave were so incredibly powerful. And the one thing that we took away from that is like, you're replaying all the key plays in your head, but you're doing it on your own, right? So just that idea that like, man, I just had this game, here was this tough circumstance, you want to talk it out with somebody, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Whether it's a peer who's at the same level as you, um, you know, maybe it's someone that's older, that's you know, that trusted person that you could go to, or maybe even it's like, oh, wow, that crazy play, you know, there was a, a way to give a technical foul with no time on the clock. And we had to decide, you know, do the free throws come at the end of regulation or the beginning of overtime, like really obscure scenarios, right? Well, maybe if you did it right, maybe you want to go call that younger ref and tell them about that. So they ever, I mean, but, but we have, you know, there, there's, there's no like people, referees are on their own, right? They show up at a game. They don't know who's going to be there. Heck, sometimes they can't even like find the person that they're supposed to officiate with. They don't know if the person's going to be on time. They, they don't, they, and then they may never see that person again. So now football's different, right? So football, you show up on a crew, you're with them, you know, kind of for the year, you build friendships and long-term relationships, but other things you don't get, if it goes back to the assignment of the games, you don't get control over who's going to show up uh, at that game with you. So it can be a very disconnect. So, you know, everybody's against you, right? The, the, the coaches, the players, the fans. And then it's like, if you can't even like get together in your own herd, right. Of zebras, so to speak, like, man, is that, that's incredibly isolating. So people's people were very, I don't know. We just got great answers to that question. And that, that question more than any other question, honestly, just really helped us to empathize with what officials are feeling about their experience. I, I think that is powerful in itself. I mean, people don't recognize the human side of officials. I mean, I, I was a very low level official. I just worked intramural basketball in college. That's as high as I ever got. But talking to these people and understanding what they go through, I mean, people have no idea what all these officials sink in to prep for a game that they're going to go to on, you know, football, for example, on a Friday night, and they're going to be six hours away from home to make $50. The video study, the crew communication, the working with mentors, if you're in that network and you've taken it upon yourself to find and build that network, there is no structural baseline that gives you a path to building that. It doesn't exist. These people do it all on their own. And it's because they literally love these games. They love to be involved. They love to give back. That's what it's about. People don't know. I mean, you look at the lower levels of college in football, for example. These guys will go and they'll work a game on a Saturday. They'll be gone the entire Saturday and they'll make 150 bucks. They'll go to camps. They'll go to clinics. They'll go to association meetings prior to the season even starting. And by the time the season starts, by the time a Division Three college football season starts, these people have paid more money to do continuing education that they've opted into doing on their own. They will have paid more money by the time the season starts than they'll make back during the season. I mean, these people are not the villains. They don't go out there because they want to play a role. They love what they're doing. They enjoy it so much. It's not a profit center for them. It's not a very good use of time for them, but they love it. And so, you know, when people recognize that human side and they understand what these people pour into it just out of the love of the hobby, it would totally change the perspective. I mean, I remember talking to a family member who was one of the loudest people in the room about officials. Oh, they're, they're terrible. They don't know what they're doing. You know, where do these, do these people even do anything? They just show up on a night. He became an official 
quietest person in the room from that point forward. It's hard. It is not an easy thing to do. There's a lot you got to understand from rules to mechanics, to positioning, to philosophies. There's a lot that goes into it. And once you try it, and that's something where I think that ref reps can have a huge impact, you know, really giving people a feel for what it looks like from an officiating perspective, whether you are an official or you're just a enthusiast. Once you see it from that angle, it's like, whoa, light bulb. Okay. I'm going to give these people some grace because this is a different world I didn't understand before. Yeah. And I think one, I was just thinking, you know, I work at a power five institution and you see that stuff on TV, football and basketball mainly. And then obviously the pro sports, you almost wonder if that factors into people not understanding um, the lower level of officiating that they don't have access to booth reviews and in the sideline uh, television uh, review replay that you can just go to the booth. So I think there's, there's a lot of components that seem to just be, um, you know, kind of fueling the fire of not respecting or understanding the human side uh, and the resource side of, of officiating. Hey listeners, a quick message and then we'll get right back to the interview. I wanted to quickly tell you that the Sports Innovation Journal is now accepting submissions. If you have or are looking for a place to publish your innovative thoughts and studies on the sports industry, then please consider the Sports Innovation Journal. We are an open access journal and our target audience is the practitioner looking for answers to the questions and problems in their job, and we want to attract and publish researchers that are identifying and studying those questions and problems. If you are interested in learning more about the journal and wanting to submit or sign up to be a reviewer, then visit the link in the episode notes or email Dr. David Pierce, the editor and director of the Sports Innovation Institute at dpierce 3 at iupui.edu, dpierce 3 at iupui.edu. Now let's get back to the interview. Now, Dr. Pierce, I want to give you a chance to explain what you, you mentioned, some of the questions um, that your students came up with. What were what was the in design thinking world? What are starter statement starter questions, and how did that factor into this design thinking process for the class? Yeah, so the the statement starters are so there, there's kind of like the first phase of design thinking is where you, you you go out and interview people. We we went out and we observed officials in their authentic environments. Uh, we went really wide to get as much. We we read peer reviewed research. We read blog posts. We looked at data from the National Officials Association. You go really wide uh, to gather as much information as you can. And then you go through a narrowing process called convergent thinking, where you really start to frame the problem, right? You, you synthesize all the data, you identify some insights, and then you really frame this problem that you want to solve. And that um, framing of the problem really ends in a statement starter question, right? So um, in the education and training problem space, we might they, they, we like to start these with like, how might we? All right, so we might say, um, you know, how might we give rookie refs the reps that they need to feel confident, right? Because one of the things that we found was if you're not confident as an official and you go out there um, unprepared or not confident, you are going to get chewed up. It is It is not going to go well. But what we also found was that they didn't have, people wanted to get better, but they didn't really have the tools to do it, All right? So you get that certification, you get that patch on your shoulder, you pass the 100 question quiz, but like there's no, nobody's following up with you on how to get better. People have an immense desire to get better, but but the people we were talking to were like, well, but it wasn't really clear like how we actually might do that other than read the rule book. And it's like, well, reading the rule book is important, but reading the rule book is 
you know, that that's only going to get you only going to get you so much. And, and really quickly, I mean, I know thousands and thousands of officials from all over the country, all over the world. I've never, ever heard one official tell me, man, I can't wait for my game on Thursday night so I can go out there and see how bad I can screw it up. I mean, people don't don't realize it. Their expectation for officials is that they're going to start with being 100% accurate on everything they do, every call they make, every move they make. They're going to be 100% accurate. Then they're going to improve from there. I mean, in what other industry, in what other part of life do we hold people to that standard? Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, the other question that we had students working with here was like, how might we reimagine the rookie referee experience, right? So what, what, the, what the how might we questions do is it really sets you up to ideate and to, and to innovate. So there's a, it takes us a couple weeks in class to really work through this problem framing. And, and the greatest challenge I've ever had as an educator or a professor is helping students frame these problems. I mean, I am deep in that thinking and in that problem space with them. But if you can get them in, in the right, how might we question? So how might we reimagine the rookie referee experience? Then you set them up for a, for a launching pad to go through an ideation um, or a brainstorming process where, again, they go wide to think of as many things as they can. And then they go back through a narrowing process to kind of focus down on the idea that they want to pursue over the last you know, five or six weeks of the course. And at the end of the day, that's really what we're doing with this uh, sports officiating innovation challenge as part of the NCAA next gen program is we are throwing this now that, um, you know, I've done research and I'm working on publishing a case study. Uh, and my students have done all this. We've I've done podcasts and interviews. We got all this data out there, all this thinking. Um, we want to throw it out there to college students across the country and see what creative ideas people come back with. Right. It, it, it's so um, giving students an opportunity to create and innovate um, I think, um, I wish I would have been doing more of that type of stuff, um, early on in my career. And, and, you know, logistically the heck, the whole thing is virtual students have six weeks to work on it. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a low bar. You don't have to travel anywhere. You don't have to find, you know, department, you know, funding, how we get all of our travel funded. I mean, people can just sign up, go create, and let's see what people come up with. Yeah, can you expand on the sports officiating innovation challenge and really just what NCAA Next Gen program is? We've put out some publication about it on you know LinkedIn, and and um, we'll have more, I'm sure. But uh, what is that kind of initiative that this program even exists? And part of it is is because Indianapolis is is the host side of the Final Four. Yeah, so the NCAA um, you know works with the host institution uh, to create some educational programming, and and they contracted with a company called FieldX that I've been meeting with for almost a year now. Uh, and we are uh, creating content, educational content and programming in their next gen program for fifth graders. Um, and then also there's an innovation summit for high schoolers, um, which we're heavily invested in those. And then the, the college facing kind of activity or program um, is, this, uh, is this innovation challenge. So there's kind of the three parts that I've been extensively working on over the last year. And it is even come into total view now that Indianapolis is, um, you know, hosting the entire tournament and engaging most of the month of March. Indianapolis, uh, we know how to throw a party with sports. So uh, uh, pretty excited about that March Madness, but also uh, just having this, uh, this sports officiating innovation challenge with the SII, you know, as part of the SII, but not directly involved with this officiating. Um, it's clear from 
my view that you all have taken the sports officiating shortage extremely serious um, as an institute. Now let's get into ref reps. So Kyle, you're looking to bring access and practical training of officiating to a new generation of learners and sports enthusiasts. We've talked about it and I think people will have already through listening to this, understand kind of your thoughts on the industry, but how did ref reps come to be? What's that, that kind of founding story? And then what do you think it'll do for the, for the industry shortage um, in the, with your vision? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the founding story comes from getting connected with Dr. Pierce. I mean, all the, the research and the design thinking and everything they put into addressing the problem uh, in the industry And then through that capstone, they had begun to lay some foundation on potential ways to address that through innovation and through uh, more practical ways to give officials tools. And once I met him and and started hearing what some of these students were working on, I mean, my brain started firing on all cylinders, having spent 10 years in the industry related to officiating training, you know, all the light bulbs went off. Hey, there's something here that we can do. And one thing that I've told, I've told this for years, one way that we wanted to address this problem is there is no, there's no practical, simple method for officials to practice. You know, students, you you think about this, you have your average age of an official is 55 years and older. Your average age of a student is between 15 and 18. They're athletic, they're strong, and they're getting more, uh, they're getting bigger, faster, stronger every year. And so those students now, those student athletes spend how much time and effort during their, their sports season, during their off season, practicing their sport that they love. They're constantly getting better. And what do we as officials do? How do we counter that? How do we practice? And that has been a question for years that I've never had an answer to. I mean, you can do as much as you can watching video. You can do as much as you can trying to pick up scrimmages and, you know, trying to work in the off season, but there's a limit to accessibility for that. And as we kind of started talking and brainstorming and thinking this through, it made perfect sense if we could provide officials a true opportunity to get reps, to get practice, to see things exactly as they would see them on the court, on the field, but provide them the opportunity to do that anywhere, anytime through technology. And so that's what we began to build, you know, really being able to innovate and put a a very accessible product into the hands of sports officials and organizations and educators that could say, okay, here's how you can get those reps. Wherever you're at, you can see from the point of view of an official what they experienced on the field or court. And then you can interact with that. You see that play, uh, you know, the point guard driving down the lane in a basketball game. And you got your small forward that steps into the middle of the lane and plants his feet and gets plowed over by that point guard. And in that split second, just like the official on the court had to do, you've got to make a decision. Blow your whistle, make a call. Was it a foul? Was it a block? Was it a charge? You have to do that physically. You have to make the signal with your with the motion of your body. And our system through ref, ref reps uses motion tracking, and it actually looks at the individual making that call and says, yep. You know, Kyle made that call correct or no, Kyle didn't make that call correct. And then we educate you on the back end of that. We have 
experts, officiating industry experts that come in and actually go through that scenario and that play and they teach you about it. Uh, here, here's what we saw. Here's what the official saw. Here's how, you know, this should have been called. Here are the expectations. Here's that bar. Here's that um, expectation for you as you get on the court. This is what we're looking for and what you need to do. And it's already been fascinating. We've been to market for 11 days, 11 days. And all but two days since we went to market, I have shipped product to customers in the industry. There is a need for this. There's a desire for this. There are people that are looking for someone uh, uh, to really provide that out-of-the-box tool that says, this, this is it. This is how you can learn. This is how you can connect. This is how you can get practical experience. So that way back to what Dr. Pierce talked about, when you get on the field or court and you go out and it's pure chaos, because believe me, when you go out as an official, it is chaos. Bodies are moving everywhere. Actions moving everywhere. You don't know what's going to happen. The teams have some plays or they have defensively, they have some structure. We're playing man, we're playing zone. You know, they, there's some structure to what's going on there. But as an official, you're that third party looking in, trying to keep track of it all. And then you have to be able to mentally recognize what's going on, correlate that to a rule book, to a mechanics. It is absolute chaos. But with ref reps, no matter what stage of officiating you're on, once you've utilized our product and you get out onto the field or court, you look at that scenario and you immediately, hey, I've seen this before. I've seen this situation happen. And I've experienced this firsthand and you are so much more prepared through confidence and through mental play recognition that you can just snap right in there. And, and your, your bar for success is set so much higher than it ever has been in the past. Yeah. And uh, on your website, which we'll definitely link on here, um, show a really good video example of how the product works and um and I, I was telling you before we recorded that I was watching and I was like, that makes so much sense uh, <laughs> to do it. And it just, you could tell it would solve so many problems. So it's great to hear that it, this all really helped out by, by using innovation, but also design thinking methods with Dr. Pierce. Want to make sure, uh, he, it, it, are we going to list him as a co-founder then uh, as part of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there were... There, there, and it truly was. Their work set the foundation to address, to really aggressively attack this problem of this shortage. Because if we rely on the old methods and the old ways of doing things, that next generation isn't going to be there. And that's where a tool like RefReps, taking a, a video game approach, an interactive video game approach to education of that next generation of officials, it's a complete game changer. And that's where I think that ref reps will directly impact that shortage in the industry. We can bring you the next generation. We can help you out of the box train those individuals that otherwise wouldn't express any interest. One of our, one of our biggest uh, uh, growing target markets right now are high school educators that want to include sports officiating as an elective. They see the they see the shortage. They're involved in it every day. They see that you know the officials aren't aren't available on whatever night of the week that it is, and so they want to attack it too. But they don't know how. And now we've got this out of the box tool. Hey, 
put this put this in the classroom. The students can literally stand in front of our sensor and they can interact with the play. They can see it just like the officials did, and they can experience officiating without all the noise that's going on around them. Not, not you don't have those the parent problems. You don't have the coach problems. They can do it in a safe environment, so that when they get onto the court. The noise isn't there anymore. It's all blocked out. They're worried about what they're there to do, which is be the arbiter of that game. Apply the rules. Make sure there's a level playing field. Make sure that everyone has an opportunity for success, including the partners that they're working with during that game. It would be uh, – I'm just thinking of sticking parents in there that uh, are often critical of, of officials. Of If, you know, you had a sensor set up in the – in the lobby at a high school basketball game and you just had them all like try and line up and do it whether before the game or at halftime, it would just be for one really good promo, but I think it would just, it, it could really be like, wow, okay, this is a lot harder than I thought. And so, but there's still a need education around uh, understanding what all they go through. And so I, I think ref reps uh, is just a great idea that just makes practical sense, but I'm just so happy it, it came out of fruition of design thinking. And Dr. Pierce, I want to kind of, end it with talking about the higher ed angle and, you know, faculty interaction with their community stakeholders or, and, or their students, how to make a difference, putting innovation to work using design thinking, because we both know that the, the audience here are practitioners and faculty researchers that um, are obviously listening in because they care about doing things differently and using innovation. So how do we translate this, even if it's not sports officiating, just kind of the the model of how to actually apply this um, really in any project. Well, I have a couple of upcoming presentations at conferences where I'll talk about this for like 45 minutes, but I'll try to keep it to like five minutes here. Uh, but, you know, really it's the idea of, you know, get out one, it's get out of the classroom, right? You got to get your students out into the field right? Interviewing people, observing people. You're finding um, topics that are super timely and and relevant. I mean, I can't even really remember exactly how I came across the, I think I just saw an article in the Indy Star about, you know, the shortage of officials. And I would, it just, I don't know, it just hit me that this would be an incredible um, project. And the other, the other thing is like, as a faculty member, like you don't have to know the problems or the solutions. I think sometimes faculty like control and they like to feel like they're the experts. So higher ed operates in this, we are the expert mindset. Um, but I would argue you will be a much more effective educator and you will create better opportunities for your students to make a difference. If you take that expert mindset out of your head and you open yourself up to being in a growth mindset instead and um, not worrying that you don't know the problems or the solutions. This, this stuff is not a case study. Faculty like to hide behind case studies because there's kind of a prescribed answer that they're looking for students to create. Um, and at the end of the day, those projects die when you put a grade into Canvas. And it also dies for the student when they submit it to Canvas. And it's over, class over, assignment over, everybody moves on their merry way. But what happened in this, particular instance is um, our students did great work. I was really active on LinkedIn, kind of telling the story of all the things we were working on at class. I had, you know, NBA official Tyler Ford was in my class, uh, NCAA basketball official Bo Borowski. I had more, I had more comments and likes and shares on those two videos I posted on LinkedIn than anything else I've ever done. Uh, it caught the eye of people at the, at the Big Ten. 
who came down uh, the week that we did our capstone presentations and they actually sat in and watched the students uh, do it. Brenda Hilton from the Big Ten who found it officially human. Um, we've gone on to continue to work with officially human. We've, had, we've put interns on things. We've, we've done uh, like research projects with them. We helped them analyze a survey of over 20,000 sports officials. Um, develop key insights out of that. I had a couple students this summer really work on the product development um, for their kind of empathy-based program that they're going to roll out. Um, we've worked with, um, you know, um, local community development organizations, organizations, and this has been hampered by COVID, obviously, because things aren't happening in after-school settings. But like, how do we, how do we expose, um, you know, disadvantaged youth to um, officiating as a way to make money, right? They love, people love sports, um, they want to continue to do things with sports. This would be a way to do it. So we've tried to do that. And then obviously we've continued to work with ref reps. So, you know, the, my keys to faculty is, you know, I got out of the classroom. I, I took this stuff beyond that. I, you know, spoke at that um, Big Ten um, sports official symposium last year. It was like the last thing that happened before COVID, right before, right at the end of the women's Big Ten tournament. And I met um, Kyle and, and Mark Baltz. And, you know, the rest is uh, what we've worked on for the last eight months. So, and, and, and so a total of uh, 10 students, you know, have worked on this in some way, shape or form over the last eight months. So it's great experience uh, for students. Um, I've worked with different departments on campus, not just sport management. We had a student from, or I actually took this idea over to the um, capstone class for the informatics major and four students worked on the idea, created a prototype that I could show Kyle. And Kyle was like, yep, that's what, that's what we're picturing. One of those students got really passionate about it from informatics. Um, you kind of a, had a game design background and that student um, worked all summer long um, with me and Kyle to really develop, you know, the game design platform for how this thing um, would work. And now he's graduated and continuing uh, to work on it. So we, I got outside of my school, outside of my normal discipline. We've had 10 students involved. I mean, at the end of the day, like that, to me, that's what faculty, uh, you know, should be doing it. And at the end of the day, students are benefiting from, from all of that. So that's, that's, that's why we get up every day and do the sports innovation Institute right there. Yeah. And even if you don't have an Institute on your own campus, you can, it doesn't mean that you. you no, it's irrelevant to that. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Yeah. You don't, they're, 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 yeah. It's not like, you know, there was some secret. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, yeah. I just throw well, it off. I agree. We're, we're definitely, and I'm those that, here um, that know me is, uh, you know, I'm an alum of the sport management program at IUPUI. And so I care deeply about it. I think the SII is great. And we obviously have resources and we can share a lot more than what a, what someone else can maybe. But what I mean by that is, is just if you're listening to this and you're on a different university, make those, use this as a chance to actually reach out because it doesn't seem like faculty typically reach out outside their departments. And and um, if anything, maybe the SII has shown that what a what what how you can remove those boundaries. And and we're fortunate to have the institute, but it definitely should you know take uh, take some leaps at your own institution as well to to try and do that. So Kyle Armstrong, founder of Ref Reps, and Dr. Pierce, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. We will uh, we'll wrap this one up today. It was a great conversation about uh, a really big crisis in sports officiating.